time of a composer quest We're getting even closer to the final guess We heard the notes and we talked about the chords Finding the goal that Charlie's heading towards Freeway to Taipei And the East Coast, the West Coast Charlie is the mobile host You know you gotta be getting ready for the Composer Quest World Tour This call is now being recorded This call is being recorded Hey uh, Charlie here. Hey Jeff How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Charlie. How you doing? Good, good. So, for people listening, uh, I'm talking with my good friend, Jeff Schwinghammer. You might hear me refer to him as Schwingy sometimes. Uh, and Jeff and I are going to be chatting, checking in on the road, because I am currently at the first stage of my world tour for Composer Quest. So... Why did I pick you, Jeff, as my check-in buddy? Oh, that's a great question, Charlie. I often wonder that myself. <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. Uh, yeah. We, we've had so, a long uh, long history of hanging out uh, ever since we met in college, uh, and then we were roommates after college for a number of years, I guess. Uh, I guess we've always had uh, deep philosophical talks. So. Yeah. So, for people who don't know Jeff, he is an excellent filmmaker. If you want to see what he looks like, you can just look on Wikipedia for the entry for red hair, and he his mugshot is right on there as Wikipedia's red hair guy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, man with red hair. Can't miss yeah. it. Let me stop. <laughs> but... You're more than just your red hair. Um, you're a great guy. <laughs> but people will get to meet you a little bit more as we go along in the season. So I, right now, am driving through Wisconsin. I left home this morning. I stopped by my parents' house. And, yeah, it was good to see them real quick on the way out. Um, All right. Excellent. You got your bags packed. You got you got your sound equipment. Uh, you're on the yep. on the road. You got a tank yep. full of gas. You got uh, you got passion in your gut. You're ready to go. Yes. Yeah. Passion. A little bit of nerves. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a whirlwind tour. I didn't really realize how many things I wanted to try and do. And it's going to be a two-month tour, but it really could have been a three- or four-month tour with all the people I'm going to be meeting up with. Um, so I guess for people who don't know where I'm going and why I'm doing this, uh, I'm going to be driving out to New England, stopping along the way in Chicago, South Bend, Cincinnati, and then I'm going to end up in New York City, uh, around New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and then I'm going to head back to Minnesota, fly to L.A., then fly to Australia, then to Taiwan, then back to California. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a crazy two months, and I'm going to be living the nomad lifestyle, staying with uh, listeners of the show, 
and that kind of thing. Oh, that's excellent, um, John. So You're really putting the quest in Composer Quest. <laughs> yep, that's the idea. <laughs> well, tonight I am going to be traveling to Chicago to go talk with Sam Bagich. I don't know if you remember him, but... I do remember um, Sam. Nice. Yeah, yeah. He does uh, a lot of electronic music, um, so I'm hoping to jam with him a little bit. Uh, or at cool. least talk to him. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Now we'll probably hear some transition music to transition to my talk with Sam Baggage. Sam Baggage. How's it going, Charlie? <laughs> Good. Yeah. So I'm here in Chicago with you in your apartment right now. Here we are. I'm excited because this is the first official Composer Quest tour interview. It's exciting. Yeah. So, my introduction to you, I think, was uh, we lived in the same dorm, but you were a floor up. And, That's right. And you were kind of like, I had heard the cool guy who had had downloaded <laughs> Reason or something like that. That's right. I still I still use Reason. It's the only thing I use. I. I I used to subscribe to is it Mac Addict magazine, and every, and every month it came with a CD of free software, demos, uh, games, you know, uh, stuff they reviewed. But uh, yeah, they reviewed it and had a copy of the demo version one on there, and I did everything I could with the demo not letting you save and like leaving the file open for months and months and months on the computer, <laughs> you know, just putting it to sleep. And uh, yeah, you know, thanks, thanks, mom and dad. They they bought it for me. Do you still have any recordings from back? Then? I have. That's the beauty of almost all digital stuff. Is that I mean, I have a folder that's like Reason two thousand four, Reason two thousand five, and I have these silly little electronica things that I wrote. naming things so i would name i had a whole, a whole album on my itunes you know collection of things that i called who was in the room and i would just name the track after whoever was like the last person i saw when i was working on it so there's songs named after people from, from college and the dorm and people i went to high school with one of my first ones is a guy i went to high school with named blake uh, and i still have the blake remix on my itunes aspirations to be like a dj up on stage ever doing this kind of stuff oh i think i did for a second and then i realized just how difficult you know i have a lot of respect for people that can actually mix up and mash and beat match and actually use a turntable or anything like that and i, I realized it's not a skill i have <laughs> i'm much more i don't do live particularly well i'm i'm well suited to be alone in a room uh with my headphones on working on a track for a while yeah but you are a touring guy. It's true. As of, uh, yeah. It's well, tell, true. Tell us about that. I spent, well, uh, this is where I'd say the modern musical me was born. But I spent, uh, I spent three years working for a company out of Minneapolis called V Corp. 
and they are the producers of Sesame Street Live. Uh, and they're also like they're also like the number one producer of mascots in the country, like like sports like, mascots. Yeah, so like TC and the Mets ball and <laughs> Benny the Bull here in Chicago, and all those all those characters all came out of V Corp. Uh, in addition to their giant Elmo and Cookie Monster costumes, like that. Uh, but yeah, so I did three years living out of a suitcase on the road, traveling all over the country, put it, setting up the lights and the stage, and. Um, because you don't have a home and you're not in your home base, you either got to hang out in your hotel room or, you know, go adventure. And when I got tired of adventuring, we'd just uh, sit around in the hotel room. I picked up this little two-octave keyboard that I still have here on my desk. And I'd have uh, I had a reason on my laptop, and it's all I had. You know, I couldn't carry a guitar around. There was no piano, you know, to play. So all I had was this little two-octave keyboard and, like, a rock band uh, USB microphone. And, you know, we started working, my friends and I on tour started working on an album called The Menu. And all the songs on The Menu were like sensual love songs or <laughs> sexy songs, but they all were using food as euphemisms. <laughs> Only one song ever really came to completion on that, uh, a song called Hey Boo. About you know making your man sandwich because he's at work all day. A song uh, we're trying to make a dance hit called the double dip uh, which was about uh, you know trying to a song about putting your dip uh, your chip in the dip twice and trying to turn that into like a dance move you could do on the on the dance floor <laughs> to use a new chip just once is a crime it's a food time adventure it's a taste trip so come on everybody do the double so dip. put your hands in the bowl and pull out a chip do the double dip so put your hands in the bowl and pull out a chip. Do the double dip. Do the double dip. Yeah, so that was really fun. I realized that it, it's, it was very enjoyable to kind of take genre tropes and play with them and do something funny. And it's like, I can't, I'm not much of a poet, but when it comes to making a rhyme to try and make a joke, it's like, I got it. I got it. So when I finally moved here to Chicago and got hooked up with some friends here, like-minded individuals who just kind of dug this goofy parodies, and uh, that's evolved into a whole bunch of stuff I've been doing in the past uh, year or two. Yeah. So you just had a Kickstarter project? Yeah, uh, about a year ago. It has. It's almost been a year. It's crazy. Um, uh, my group, uh, Versus the Universe, had a Kickstarter successfully funded uh, to do our uh, geek show. It's a live, uh, we call it a nerdy variety talky thing. We've been working on uh, a lot of musical projects that we premiere at the live show and then eventually they'll make their way to YouTube. And now we're working on these uh, um, love songs albums. And they're kind of fake compilations that you might see on a late night infomercial. It's like kryptonite's in my bed And I can't get you out of my head
those were such a smash hit that we've turned that into um, one of our Kickstarter rewards was to kind of write a track like those for our backers. And, at the low, low price of... At the low, low price of $25. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we were uh, really blown away by the support we got uh, on our Kickstarter, and we didn't think we'd have as many people um, contribute as they did. So we were really taken aback at the, the 40 people who donated enough to collect this reward. So, Which leaves you with a lot of work. A lot of work to end. do. But uh, we just released our first chunk of 12, and it's been tons and tons of fun to just, you know, sort of... Um, we used, uh, we used a Kickstarter survey to get some random facts about our uh, contributors and music styles they liked. And then from hopefully a, a band that they like or a style that they liked, we'd sort of get a vibe for a song and then uh, come up with lyrics. Uh, um, my partner Aaron will write all the lyrics about, you know, you got lost in the woods one day and your favorite color is green and, you know. You gotta run, 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 run from the animal, run, 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 Paul. It's got murder in his eyes, run away. It's a hell-made fang, bearing demon of a groundhog, and it's got your center. And it's a hell-made fang, bearing metaphor that you made up, so it's time to Kill, 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 Paul. Gotta kill the metaphor. They've been tons of fun. Doing a lot of 80s rock, and we did a country song, and uh, a sort of David Bowie-esque thing. We're kind of all over the place. So it's been tons of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally... Like I was telling you, I, I've been doing jingles for the patrons, and that is... It's so much fun, because you... Like, the bar is low for musical quality like you're just writing a 30 second uh, minute thing but you end up i don't know i think by constraining it that way you actually make it kind of a more fun song it's true it's true i i of course go uh once i get my headphones on and i'm all alone i go a little overboard uh, <laughs> <laughs> well there yeah i don't know about you but i kind of feel like if i didn't have those kind of weird challenges for myself i might just get stuck in like this is my style like this i don't know what my style would be but <laughs> you know like when you, look, when down. you look back you know like again looking back at the the things i wrote in college it's like oh yeah i had a style it was uh, this kind of drum beat and these sort of chords and uh, it's nice to have a, a reason to break out and do something different and that's what uh, uh that's what's fantastic about uh, my partner aaron you know he'll come to me and like what if we did I'll throw out some idea. You know, if, he's got a genre idea. He's got a show. He's got a scene. He's got whatever in mind. Do you think we could do this? I don't know. It's not something I would think to do, but yes, yes, absolutely we can do that. And uh, we'll end up making something fantastic. What do you think you've learned from doing all this comedy, musical sort of stuff? Well, I've learned a lot about my own musical tastes and where my sort of internal melody lies um, but, you know, learned a lot about sort of balancing what you think is important versus what's important for the delivery of the joke or what's best for the, the final product. Yeah, so maybe me going overboard, doing hours of, you know, drum programming is less important than making sure we, we get the lyrics more crisp and clear for the story we're trying to tell. 
doubly so if we're going to be filming something and having lip sync and things like that. Lately, I've been thinking about music from like a serious film score style, like music being the main thing that drives emotion, like making you feel sad or whatever. But yeah, on the comedy end, I I don't think about it as often, but really to sell a joke, like music is so good. Like it is, it is very good because you get to take. It's like a well-crafted joke. You get to take your listener on a journey, and you have to lead them to the punchline. Uh, but you know, along the way, you have to plant all the seeds so the joke can land. But you might only have half a verse to do that. And yeah, it's, it's a good challenge. So. It sounds like t- tonight we might try and go see some musical improv. Yeah, Chicago is full of musical improv. I haven't done any personally because it's very intimidating. But uh, to watch these people, uh, there's always a, a musical director on the piano. Sometimes Some of these places have a drummer, a guitar player as well. And they pick up a genre and they make up a song on the spot. And these people are fantastic. So yeah, if you're in Chicago... Um, uh, Second City has a whole music improv program. Uh, I think we're going to try to go see a show called Vamp. If you're ever in Chicago, you should check out Vamp. It's a fantastic show at uh, MCL here. And um, uh, the improvised Sondheim project has come out of this town. There's a show called Anarchy. It's an improvised rock opera, uh, a la maybe um, uh, American Idiot. But they get a they get a suggestion from the audience of what the show is about and they make up the whole rock opera right there on the spot. Whoa. Uh, these things are fantastic. Yeah, How did they do that away. with, like, they, you know, it's a lot an of, arc? <laughs> uh, they figure out a way. It's pretty remarkable. Someone takes the reins and in their lyrics make a reference to what's happening, and maybe they'll bring up their father or the crime that was committed or the, th- the bad thing that's happening, and... Uh, another improviser knows that they have to fill the role. Like, this is where maybe tropes come into play. Like, all right, so there needs to be a romance here. And so two people will come in as the romance or someone will come in as the police officer. Or, uh, and these improvisers are just so talented at what they do. They, they, they craft this story right in front of your eyes. Thinking about like musically improvising, I feel like I'm at the base level of that like i can think of like a cool sound in this very moment but like thinking of a large structure of improvising like yeah it's, it's, that's totally it's, you know it, it, i feel like i have it's a skill i have in my mind you know like thinking of how a song goes and then like yeah this should be like a, a key change here into the bridge uh, you know or, or whatnot but uh being able to play an instrument live whether that instrument is your voice or a piano but to, to do that live is very intimidating. I can't do it. I'll spend hours uh, sitting here figuring out chord progressions. You know, cause I, don't ha- I don't have any formal musical training of any kind beyond uh, you know, singing in choir and doing the left-hand Suzuki method when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, that stuff didn't really stick with me until you know, years and years and years later. So when you're like launching into a new genre, um, what's your first step? Uh, I'll usually go to Spotify and I will take some time and just listen to it. And you're like, ah, okay, here are the things that make this genre this genre. You know, it's the particular guitar tone or a synthesizer or what the bass line is doing, you know. And I try and 
just try and match that feel. You know, like this this genre would never have major chords. It would never sound happy. So you know, don't don't even try to write a song using that. And yeah, it's all about listening to the, what you're trying to yeah. imitate. Kind of feel like people who are in like a cover band, maybe, or they maybe learn these kind of tricks that different genres have. But I, I don't know. I'm not like super inspired to learn other people's music and play it. So I don't know. I feel like doing this jingle project and maybe, I don't know, for you, the theme project is like a good way to, to think about like what do bass players actually do for. Yeah, you know, it's like I have no particular interest in, say, being in a, a disco cover band. But when I'm trying to write a kind of funky song and you realize that they're, they're you know the sort of the style and the the craft of what these guys were doing in the studio I'm like aha there it is yeah so so what's your uh do you have a ultimate goal in mind with where you want to take your i get stuff? asked that a lot uh for our group for versus the universe i know there's a, a goal to try and do some more full-length stuff and not just the little bits, but to actually work on a complete album of some sort. But then f- uh, for myself, kind of the same thing. You know, I've, I've spent, I've written, written more songs in the past two years than I ever imagined I would. And I've, uh, uh, some of my ideas are to take these, you know, songs that I've written for other people, take out the goofy lyrics about getting lost in the woods and your favorite color is green. And try and craft an album out of uh, more more complete, flushed out ideas, and sort of take everything I've all these uh, snapshots I've done in the past year and uh, the sketches and to work them into complete ideas. Because it'd be nice to have something to show for it, you know, a, a real complete album uh, yeah. to put out there. But you know, it's very intimidating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking of like new album ideas, like, and you you kind of want to like have this thing that's complete and like stylistically similar throughout. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's tough for me cause I like bouncing around a lot yeah, too. Same. So yeah, that's why this is, this is perfect for me to get to do a little bit of everything, you know, and yeah. walk, walk away from it after a couple hours. Well, tell me about you. You went to a folk music, um, course. Yeah, um, there's a place here in Chicago called the old town school of folk music. And, uh, yeah, I took, uh, I took a year of guitar classes there after I got off the road with Sesame Street. Uh, went from guitar one all the way through guitar four, and then one called guitar forever. You could take that on and on and on. And, you know, I knew how to strum some chords, but this school is a really cool style of teaching and uh, group, group teaching and they basically just teach you songs, and you don't realize that you're learning skills. They're like, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna teach you this song, and halfway through, oh look, it's a chord you don't know, and you suddenly you've learned a bar chord. And they, it's not like you took a bar chord class, and it was very intimidating. It's like, yeah, we're just gonna sneak one in. And the class I did, uh, we people brought in sketches of songs, you know, all right, I wrote down GCAD on a piece of paper and I wrote down some lyrics and I kind of feel like it has this tempo and the the class members, the students flush it out and turn it into an actual song, you know, completely worked out song and you get to play it live. Uh, I did a did bun- you do I did songs? I did a bunch of that. Yeah, I wrote a couple of tracks. Yeah, I kind of learned how to write a pop song. 
I usually ask a question from the previous guest, but that was so long ago. I for, totally <laughs> forgot to look that up. Uh, let me pause for a sec sure. and then look that up. So, we're back. Um, <laughs> the last person who asked the question was Vanessa Cornette Murtada, a professor at St. Thomas. and She was wondering, what is the most outrageous thing you've done to try and inspire creativity if you're uh, stuck? Oh, outrageous thing I've done. Well, I took a page. Uh, we talked a little bit about musical improvisers. Uh, I took a page from their book. You know, a lot of improv is based on you get a suggestion and you gotta, you got to go with it. You can't say no. It's yes and. You know, you got to keep going forward. So I've, uh, perhaps it doesn't seem crazy or, or dangerous, but, you know, I've tried to put to myself that I have to follow those rules. And I put out to the internet or to Facebook, somebody give me a suggestion of something, you know, uh, whatever was on my mind, food or a destination or something and uh take one of those suggestions and go with it you know just to force myself to move forward and um i probably don't have a recording of it but you know i started writing a song about banana bread and the melody that i came up with because i was writing a song about banana bread and, and nuts and chocolate chips and whatnot i came i wasn't thinking about the music so much and it came out naturally uh and then i threw away the lyrics and put some better stuff in uh, you know and so trying <laughs> well, it's to... like uh, scrambled scrambled eggs exactly something whatever the beatles yesterday original lyrics right. were. yeah yeah it's a good it's a good technique to kind of get your mind somewhere else yeah yeah so what's your question for the next guest oh man i should have actually thought of one over <laughs> talking about it um what was the first song you ever wrote uh, for someone else, like like a love song, or uh, you know, for your family, or uh, as a maybe as a gift, you know, a song that was for somebody, and why? All right, yeah, cool. Oh, so Sam, the yes. other thing that I ask of all my guests, if they are able, is to come up with a composer quest theme for their episode. Uh, and right now you have a cast. I do. Um, so no guitar is out. Um, but I don't know. Do you do you feel like you could meet that challenge at some point? I think I might be able to turn out a little something. I've got the I've got the theme song blood flowing through me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, cool, Sam. Thanks for hosting me here in Chicago. Charlie, I'm glad you're in Chicago. I'm glad. I'm glad I am the first stop on your world tour. This is exciting. Yeah, for sure. We're coming to the end of the composer quest. We're getting even closer to the final guest. We heard the notes and we talked about the chords. Finding the goal that Charlie's heading towards Freeway to Taipei And the East Coast, the West Coast
Cause Charlie is the mobile host You know you gotta be getting ready for the Composer Quest World Tour Alright, so Sam Yeah The podcast adventure continues uh, what, did, what did we just see here? Uh, we are here at MCL Chicago. It's a uh, music comedy live. And uh, we just saw a show called Vamp, uh, which is a musical improv drinking variety show. Four talented improvisers and a whole live band are up there making up songs based on suggestions from the audience. Yeah. And they're making it all the genres, all the lyrics, all the chord changes, everything is all improvised on the spot. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, I think my favorite was the sketch where they got two people up on stage and grabbed their smartphones and just like read off texts a- as part of the sketch. Yeah, it was it was similar. Uh, I feel like it was similar to a game they used to play on Whose Line Is It Anyway, but instead of slips of paper, it was actual texts yeah. on phones <laughs> from audience members. It was with the setup that they're at WrestleMania, at WrestleMania, uh, something like that. Uh, these guys are going through. Okay, I'll, I'll pass you the bits together, like like Armageddon or uh, the stock market crash. Thing. What are you going through? <laughs> Wrestle <laughs> freaking mania. WrestleMania. Awesome. That's that's all we need. Text oh, opera vamp. chat here with uh, Keenan and Brendan who are the founders of this show and lucky for us they're both in the show tonight. Uh, I think there's uh, 10 or 12 people that do this show on a regular basis and they uh, rotate out depending on who's available and we lucked out the founders, the original crew are here tonight Sweet. I'm here with the crew uh, the creators and Alex Garday, Keenan Camp, and Courtney Fontaine of Hello. Vamp Chicago. Nice. High five. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that show is amazing. Thank you. Thank guys. you very much. Thank I've you. never seen musical improv like ha- as a show. Really? No. I don't no, I don't think so. Walters. Great. Is, is this we're it sounds like this happens a lot here um, in Chicago. It, uh, I think improv happens a lot in Chicago, but eventually there's iterations. Mm-hmm. I, I would venture to say that uh, you can find nips and tucks of music improv in lots of different places if you look for it. And if your town doesn't have it... Come to Chicago. Just, <laughs> well, yeah, but also get it. Because yeah. it's super fun. Yeah. So what sparked you guys to make this happen? Um, 
uh, Brandon, who's not here. I don't know where he is, but he's somewhere. Um, he and I were just kind of a, a lot of sitting on the couch and smoking weed. I don't know if I can say that. It's the internet. I, it's fine. We're a lot of smoking <laughs> weed and sitting on the couch and making up songs and being like, why can't we do this with all the people that we love and make it kind of the same feel of like you roll in and you just happen to see all the people that you know making up stupid shit and they're all drinking and you're you're drinking too and oh look at oh that's a show yeah (laughs) just make up some stupid songs in front of drunk people that you also like love as much as friends even though you just met them and there you go. That's that's yeah. in a music improv show. Is just being like, here you go. Do you want to sing a song about dinosaurs going into space? Great, wonderful. We will, and then we'll talk to you after. Yeah. yeah. And you bring people up on stage and steal their phones and start <laughs> steal their phones. Now. We we do as much audience interaction as we can. Yeah, the audience is like an integral part of our show. So the interaction that we strive for is that the audience feels like so close to just getting up on stage themselves but won't until we bring them up on stage yeah and that's like our like perfect point i think is when the audience is like i could never at the beginning of our show to like at the end they're like oh man i want you right exactly i just want to also say your voice is very low and sexy right now thank you more so than normal thank you Uh, (laughs) yeah I, I like don't know. I think his voice is always low and sexy. All right. What's the next <laughs> question? So if someone was going to try and do musical improv themselves, like what tips do you have for them? Either um, singing, coming up with melodies on the spot, jump, or lyrics. Jump in the f***ing tank. I don't know. The first time I did it, somebody just did it randomly to me at a regular improv show mm-hmm. that was... Uh, based on the Firefly series, Sci-Fi Nerds, uh, and that's how I got thrown into music improv. And they just started playing piano. Just started playing something. something, and it was like, "Well, this is turning into a song and a show that doesn't have songs." Music improv, I think, is scary to some. I think others like secretly love it. The biggest thing I can say to people who are thinking about it or, or, or have tried it is. Truly to trust yourself and your own musical instincts. Like, so if you're someone who listens to a lot of, you know... Hip-hop. S- hip-hop. Or yeah. ska. Or, or pop music or whatever. R&B. That's, that's your frame of reference and to use that when you find yourself in a musical improv situation. Now, a lot of it is dependent upon who your musical director is, who's behind the piano or who's behind the band and what they provide for you. But that's the cool part of music improv. Is like It's a symbiosis of the music and then you and what you're providing in terms of lyrics and you work together and you build that and some people are super dominant some people are a little more submissive and you kind of find a nice perfect harmony oh, oh. <laughs> even i was like i was like he's I leaned a great into explanation it. I leaned where's into it. where's the end yeah. of this there so you go boom, that, boom. for people who are t- like trying to get into it i think it is scary and it's it takes a lot of reps, just Correct. like anything. It takes a lot of reps before you feel comfortable knowing the language that we're speaking. Because, like, improv, we're juggling a lot of balls, right? Like, character, relationship, uh, stakes, whatever it is. And now we're balls. adding a huge... And balls. <laughs> and we're, now, we, now we throw in a huge ball of music, and now you're trying to juggle all of those at the same time. Yeah. So it takes a lot of work. What advice would you have for the 
instrumentalists who are behind you. Like, if someone wants to try playing listen, behind listen, listen to so many different music. Don't be, don't understand just what you love. Like, you're like, all right, I only love Billy Joel songs. So I'm only gonna learn Billy Joel songs. Like, as long no. as every sketch is about Billy Joel. Yeah, Joel's that works good. great. But um, it's like all of a sudden really you gotta learn hip hop. You gotta learn eighties eighties pop. Enters Gino Alessandrini, one of the guitarists. Hi guys. Hi guys. Excellent. By the way, when you're backing these guys up for improv stuff, like how do you decide on the fly? To coordinate between the three of you, you had the drummer, yourself, uh, and the piano player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what happens with those uh, with those decisions? It uh, it varies depending on who takes point. Inspiration will hit one of uh, one of those three. Tonight it was one of three. Usually we have four. There'll be a piano player, drummer, bassist, and a guitarist, and somebody will uh, will take the suggestion. Uh, whether it be a style, whether it be a tone, and run with it. Uh, everybody else jumps on board, and essentially that becomes the, the groundwork for what the improvisers do. It's a lot of fun. It's a cool yeah. thing to, uh, to see. The gauntlet that you did, the gauntlet section where you're switching genres like every 10 seconds mm-hmm. at some point, that was very impressive. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You got to juggle. You got to yeah. juggle. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I should explain what this is. Maybe. No, no, I get it. I get it. It's fine. Uh, it's better if you don't. <laughs> okay. we'll just, we'll just right. Gino's a pro. Well, cool, cool. Sweet. Did you get um, everything that yeah, you musically so. needed? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Keenan. No worries. Thank uh, you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Take thank care. you very much for having us. Um, yeah, sure. I hope uh, we did what we we could. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, we're so drunk. Gino, I asked you before. <laughs> yes, it's true. Cool, it's cool. part of the job. Well, yeah, you know. Sound bits. <laughs> party for his commercial. The, the Super Bowl party. Super Bowl party. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Have a good evening, guys. You too. All right, Sam. Well, I think that went well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're standing here on the stage and. It's, I, don't know, I don't know if we mentioned it was a drinking show, and so people have, are scattering to the wind as the as the evening takes them away. Yeah, just one by one, one by one, they off, <laughs> left us alone here. On stage. But it was pretty fantastic. They're all pretty awesome for uh, for chiming in. Welcome to the first Composer Quest Olympic update. If you've been listening to the show, you know I challenge my listeners to regular composing quests. And for this final season, I thought it'd be fun to do an epic quest that's Olympic-themed. So we're going to have six composing events, all based on the Olympics. And we had over 50 people sign up, so I'm excited to see where this goes. But for our first event... I asked composers to arrange a national anthem however they wanted for any instruments they wanted. So let's listen now to some of the composers who participated to find out what they did for their national anthems. My name is Benji Inniger, and I chose the national anthem of Israel for my first composer quest quest. So first of all, I just went shopping for national anthems and listened to a whole bunch of them and just fell in love with the the melody specifically of, of Israel. 
the title of the anthem is uh, Hetikva, as I understand it. Um, and it means the hope, uh, which I think is just so cool. And the melody was just absolutely gorgeous and haunting. Secondly, um, I just watched the movie The Martian, uh, which was composed, the soundtrack for that was composed by Harry Gregson Williams, um, whom I'm a big fan of, and one of my favorite um, Gregson Williams soundtracks is Spy Game, um, and, and I had just listened to that too, and so like I had half this Gregson Williams and half this cool um, Hatikva melody, and so I sort of composed that in the style of a Gregson Williams film score. Next, we'll hear from Danny Blackwell in Spain. I arranged the Spanish National Anthem. Um, the reason I was interested in the Spanish National Anthem is because I know that it's one of a few, if I'm not wrong, two countries that have no official lyrics. That doesn't mean there aren't lyrics, but their anthem is without lyrics. When you watch them in football, nothing. They just chant na-na-na-na-na. Uh, because the lyrics probably are crap, there's some old lyrics to do with the military, you can look it up, it's called the Marcha Real, the Royal March. And then I found alternative lyrics, which were in, a lot of them were in Catalan. Uh, the lyrics I used were from the Republicans, the Anti-Fascists, uh, Long Live Spain, Let's Sing Together for, you know, different colours, Long Live Spain, the, the green valleys and the sum of uh, brothership, then they say, if the kings of Spain knew uh, how short their duration would be, they would be in the street shouting freedom, freedom, freedom. Uh, someone was having a dump and he had no paper, so when the king passed, he used the king to wipe his ass. Something like that. This is Dan Wheeler. I decided to go with the National Anthem of the Philippines. Since the Summer Olympics were just in Rio, I decided to use the bossa nova as inspiration for my arrangement. I started off with a reharmonization. And intended to keep the entire original melody. Instead of keeping the original melody in the middle section, however, I decided to go with a tritone substitution on the five, and the melody being originally the five to the one of the five, I instead use the nine to the five of the tritone substitution, which turns out to be just a half step up. Also in the final section, which repeats, I decided to start off in the relative minor and then transition to the major for the triumphant finish. For speed, I just recorded the bass, piano, vibes, and trumpets 
using MIDI, but still needed something to tie things together and give me that satisfying bossa nova feel. So I reached out of my comfort zone and found some drum loops and uh, layered them in. And there you have it. That's how I made Chosen Light. Hi, and this is Vinamine Rust from London. I chose the national anthem of Nepal. Nepal. <laughs> I started out with just recording the main melody in a basic keyboard instrument. And then I started to play along with that recording and created a few different layers of harmonies. Then I felt like it didn't do right to the anthem's power. Um, like I didn't honor it enough, so I tried different software instruments, um, like bombastic synths and all, and flutes, um, uh, and so on. But I thought that was too much trying to recreate an anthem instead of creating my own version of a song. So I um, ended up with mostly piano instruments and a tiny bit of effects, um, such as backwards piano. Um, I think, to be honest, I'm not fully happy with the end result because I may have gone a bit overboard with the harmonies. It seemed a bit like I'm redoing the melody a few times in a row instead of a nice total build-up and I'm not sure if I honored the core of the song enough, um, which to me was sweetness and uh, willingness, um, maybe some sadness. However, this was a really good practice for me. I learned a lot about my own work process. Um, for example, I hadn't realized that the, the nature of the different software instruments and layering uh, really determine how I make a melody, um, which what, what notes I pick and uh, how to progress. So, great experience, awesome competition, and I really look forward to what everyone else is doing. Congrats to all you composers who finished the first event, and anyone who wants to hear the rest of these national anthems can go to composerquest.bandcamp.com. Stay tuned for more Olympic updates in future podcast episodes. Tonight, I'm going to be at a game design convention. Part of uh, what I've been passionate about this past year is getting into tabletop game design. And I have a sort of working prototype of this, this moon game, and I'm, I'm going to be going to this convention to show it off and see what people think, uh, get some feedback from designers. and That's awesome. This is also Game Request, too, or Board Game Request. Yeah. I love it. It's, uh, yeah, it's not related to composing directly, but in a way, I'm, I'm looking forward to going there and just, like, seeing a bunch of other creative people, and maybe I'll even interview them. We'll see how it goes um, about why they create board games.
I'm here at Protospiel Chicago. Um, I'm here with Randy Eckel, mm-hmm. and uh, Randy's an organizer of this event. Um, so, could you tell me a little bit about uh, what this event is and what inspired you to do it? Oh, certainly. Um, Protospiel Chicago is uh, another event in the Protospiel series, and they're for game designers to get together. Uh, play each other's games and give critical feedback to improve each other's games. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I came here as a designer. Uh, it's the first time I've done that and showed off one of my games about mining the moon, uh, and it was a lot of fun hearing the feedback. and And Randy, you're a designer yourself too. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, yeah so so um, I've been a game designer for a couple of years. It's a uh, you know, not my full-time job. It's a it's a hobby. Um, hopefully, sure. yeah, I'm getting more serious. Um, but what is I, your regular job? Uh, I'm a software engineer and manager at Motorola Solutions in Chicago. And High so your industry. math background kind of led to the game we just played of yours, right? Uh, um, the game we just played is called A Prime Location. Deals a lot with prime numbers, um, and the, the prime number theme just you know permeates the game through the locations on the board and the scoring and the cards within the game. So yeah, and prime location because it's real estate themed. You're placing down your buildings, and uh, they're really cool, like unique buildings i thought and you said you 3d printed them at the library for what, for, like? for for cheap yeah yeah um so a set of 10 um kind of abstract buildings was only a uh, three to four dollars printed yeah. through our local library so when you're getting into this new field uh what have been some of the challenges for you uh creatively or First of all, I'd say that the community, right, has been very supportive, so a lot of the challenges have been knocked down, but I think as with a lot of game designers or or people trying to be innovative and creative, you think, oh, there's so much out there, everything's already been done, oh, I can't, you know, you're just unsure of yourself, I can't come up with something that somebody else is going to like, right, you're unsure of yourself, until you get... Uh, a sample game out on the table people come by and yeah they might rip it down a little bit but then you learn and you make it better and after a, a couple of times it's like wow this is a, a, actually a cool little game that, that people are you know, making a lot more positive feedback than the criticisms on it you know, con- constructive criticism yeah and if, I feel like composers who are listening could learn from something like this too because like when you create a composition, a lot of times people think like, well, this is my expression as an artist, so why would I need to take anyone's feedback? Because I'm, I'm happy with how it is. Um, but yeah, I think coming here, you just realize like the feedback pretty much always helps because it, it's always come from, from someone else's perspective that this is the reason I didn't get into this mm-hmm. game and this is what... And you can take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. Yeah, the diversity of thought, the diversity of backgrounds, the diversity of opinions is always good. And you listen to them, and some of it is useful, and some of it, you know, you disregard, right? Oh, that's not what I was going for. Thanks for the comment. But, um, but some of it, you know, there's, there's you know, some, some gems in there sometimes, and it, it, it's that aha moment, and it's just such a wonderful feeling when you, when you hear those things. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Randy. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. I'm here with Heather Newton. Hello. Fellow game designer. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so 
game design and like board game design, I, I feel like not many people would think like, hey, I can do this. Um, or would even think like, why would I do this? <laughs> but I think, I don't know, I, I just got into it um, after seeing one of my friends just out of the blue make a prototype on paper. I was like, hey, that, that is kind of fun. Like, why? I don't know. How, how did you get started? The first game that I made, I remember, was when I was in sixth grade, and I didn't go on the actual camping trip with my class, but instead of doing that, I had to make a board game. That was my assignment. So I made a board game called Food, Water, Shelter, or some combination of those words, and it was a roll and move, (laughs) which, you know, is a cliche thing in the board game design community now that everybody's first board game... (laughs) They think it should be roll and move. That was my first game, too. Like like Monopoly. But, of course, this was quite a while ago. (laughs) And I was 12, you know. Um, And when I was a kid, I made a lot of scavenger hunts for my cousins. Uh, So that was always something that I just naturally was drawn to. And I don't think I can explain what I find intriguing about it. It just always has been intriguing to me. When you are designing a game and you get stuck, what do you do to get through that? I tend to be able to solve the problem a lot better when I have physical items in front of me and I can touch them and move them around, cut them out, mm-hmm. <laughs> change them, uh, more so than when I'm, whatever, on a car ride. That's when I always have yeah. time for it. <laughs> when, I'm, yeah. when I'm on a road trip with my husband, we talk about it, and then I get to the destination and, you know, family wants to talk to me and I don't care. <laughs> Forget everything we talked about before I take notes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to relate it back to composing, since that's what this podcast really is about, um, I feel like when I've been designing games recently, it's like when I go too deep in my head on, like, writing down pages and pages and pages of notes Mm -hmm. before I actually, like, put it out in front of people, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll end up with a game that's, like, very complex for no good reason (laughs) which is like same with when I'm composing and I do too much thinky stuff that people won't be able to relate to maybe versus like if I sit down with a guitar and just strum chords and just sing a melody it's like well that's very approachable (laughs) it didn't take me nearly as long and it makes sense I feel like a lot it's kind of the holy grail to simplify your game and make it easy to teach and learn because nobody's going to play it unless it's easy enough to teach and learn. Yeah, kind of like few rules, but the rules that are there make for more interesting interactions. Yeah, lots of different things. I think I think it depends on the gamer and the game designer what sort of things bring them the most joy out of a board game, but it's definitely things that are common or that there are interesting decisions to make, enough decisions to make. One of my personal beefs is if there's too much luck involved in a game, it irritates me. I want to be able to make my make my own way. Um. As a digital marketer, do you have a single good tip for composers, maybe? Oh, for composers. Um, why don't you ask me a question about your biggest pain point in digital marketing, and I'll answer mm. it for you. Okay. I think, I think a lot of composers feel like the market is flooded with other composers and songwriters just throwing their stuff out there. So how do you get noticed 
in that sea of music? I think a, a wide range piece of advice for anybody, composers or anybody, is to know the audience you want to go for and to niche down and differentiate yourself. Um, I wouldn't recommend trying to please everybody. You can't stand out if you're trying to please everybody and you can't have a singular message about yourself if you're trying to please everybody. So if you can find something, an audience you really care to serve and something unique you can offer them, focus in on that and make distill your message down and make sure you have a message that solves a pain point they have. Cool. Well, Heather, thanks. It's been nice meeting you this weekend. Yeah, it's been great meeting you too. Yeah. Good luck with the games. Thanks, you too. At this game convention, I was showing off my own tabletop game. It's about mining the moon. And I was kind of thinking about, like, why why is game design currently, like, more inspiring to me creatively than making music? And I think part of it is just, like, it's a new creative path that I'm going on. So, obviously, like, the freshness of it is cool. But I was also thinking about, like, when I'm showing off my game and having other people play it, it's, like, such a more interactive experience than playing music for someone, in a way. I mean, especially if it's just a recording. It's like, here, here's this thing I made. Uh, listen to it silently, and then then you can tell me if you liked it or not. Mm. And with a game, it's like you've created this more interactive experience. And it's almost like you're just handing it over, and then people kind of make, make of it what they will. Which, in a way, is like music, because... Everyone interprets music in their own way and responds. But yeah, I don't know. It would be kind of cool if music could be a little more interactive, either like involving people in the performance aspect more or, I don't know, like making making music more of a game. So, I don't know. It's maybe something I'll mess with in the future with my own music. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, having done... Video and filmmaking, it is very much, you make something and you present it to someone. It's not as interactive like a a board game or a video game is. I definitely understand your interest in that. I have have an interest myself. I think it's it's interesting because then you're dealing with uh, people's psychologies and people's um, interacting with each other and what does that look like? How How does that play out? Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of board game podcasts, and someone brought up a really interesting question, and it's, could you design a board game that would make people cry? Mm. And not like a Monopoly, you screwed me over, now I'm going to cry because of that. (laughs) I mean, like, is it possible to make someone have a real deep emotional feeling towards a board game that's like, the depth of listening to a beautiful song. And I I think that would be incredibly hard if it's even possible. And it, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because it's like you can inspire emotions when playing board games. Like 
you definitely feel tension and you feel potentially anger towards your opponent <laughs> or laughter at hilarious things in the game. Yeah. But yeah, it's that is one thing that I feel like music and film have uh have a monopoly over. <laughs> Pardon, that terrible joke. Yeah, that was terrible, um, Charlie. I loved it. That's, that was. That's a really <laughs> that's a that's a good insight, though, right? Like, like what what is the difference? How come film and music and all that tap into that that emotional space that games don't necessarily? And I and I wonder if uh, maybe it's the competitive aspect of games. I don't know. I'd have to think about this more. But like. Is uh, in, in film and music, you can like surrender yourself when you listen. You can let it move you. In games, it's more about your own agency, what you're doing, how you're participating. Uh, in some ways, it's not as empathetic, right? That like, uh, it is a competitive element. Yeah. But, uh, well, and you're making me realize too now, like tabletop games, you're directly interacting with other people versus watching a film and listening to music, you are around people, but it's a very personal experience. And and even, like, video... Like, solo video game experiences could make someone cry. Again, if they probably need music, but, again, that personal, like, you're experiencing this story that's outside the normal social interaction. Yeah, Totally. Well, Sam, I am. I'm leaving Chicago. You're off to the next stop. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's been really fun hanging out with you here. It's been a really good time. Um, so, if you could give maybe like one tip for people who want to live a creative life, um, make a living in the arts, I guess, because we were we've been kind of chatting about that a little so. bit. You know, the, it's tough. What you got to do is you can't stop trying. And you got to remember that there are parallel paths to maybe what you want to do that'll get you to where you want to go. You know, and so I think in the arts you got to sell your soul a little bit, but that lets you take control later on. You know, and and to branch out and to do things you wouldn't think you'd want to do. You know, to be more well-rounded. You know, when you learn to paint, you learn better things about how to do your photoshopping, and when you do things musically, you learn better about how to engineer and you just got to get out there and do everything and find the fun in it find the fun yeah i'm lucky to do something i really enjoy uh, yeah. in the arts and so even when i'm having a bad day it's a it's a good day at work for me yeah yeah well safe travels charlie and i'm excited to see where this uh, road trip takes you yeah thanks successful at it, 
but I think part of that is artists pushing the boundaries of the art itself. Okay, Charlie, I got a couple of questions for you. Shoot. Ultimately, at the end of this, what what is your goal? What what is, what do you want to see happen? Uh, maybe uh, in terms of what you make for this particular composer quest, uh, what you kind of bring together, but also maybe on the internal level. Good question. Let's see. Let's start with what I want to accomplish with this podcast season. Uh, well, since this is going to be the last season. Uh, I really kind of wanted to bookend it, in a way. Um, so I realized, like, I've interviewed so many people, but I usually don't have return guests. So I kind of wanted to go around and interview a bunch of people who I've talked to on the show and just kind of, like, check in with them, see what they've been up to in the past up to four years. And I'm, I'm going to end up having so many interviews that... I'm going to have probably two or three guests per episode, I think. And also, I had this grand plan that I was going to be able to edit all these episodes while on the tour. Uh, but I realized, like, since episodes usually take me like 10 hours to edit, I'm just not going to have the time. So, most of these episodes will be delayed by maybe a month or two. <laughs> Uh, but in the end, I think that'll be worth it to make it a better season overall. Uh, so, yeah, what else do I want to accomplish? Well, I think my music making was feeling a little bit stagnant over the past year or so. And I, I just kind of wanted to get out and kind of just get inspired. So... I'm going to be writing some songs on the road with some of the guests. A lot of my Kickstarter backers have given me song prompts, and you'll get to hear those on the show as I go. Um, so, so your question about Charlie's life, uh, what do I want to accomplish here? Uh, as you know, Jeff, um, there's a little bit of a subtext with this, uh, my personal life right now that I have been going through a breakup with my long-term girlfriend. Um, and people who have listened to the show actually have, have heard her because she's, she's been a part of the show, Maya. Um, so that's a little tough for me, but it, we ended on not not bad terms, it's more just the long distance thing. So, I don't know, part of this is going to be good for me, I think, just being on the road and figuring out some stuff in my own life, what what I'm looking for with a relationship that, you know, the door's not closed that we might get back together. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, it was, a, it was a little bit of a tough end to the summer, but I'm actually looking forward to being on the road and getting out, seeing some new things, going on to 
adventure, and we'll see what what yeah, happens. It's a really, you just, you just a, never know what's going to happen, and I'm I'm open to the future for whatever happens. Either way, that's good, man. Uh, it's wonderful to be uh, on the road in a, in a in a in a space and time to reflect. And really process those experiences and the emotions you're feeling. Uh, maybe even, you know, sublimate that into a song. Really channel that energy into, into some sort of creative expression. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, it hit. It's a, um, this came up in one of the episodes, uh, with, Jess Scherer and Peter Lund, actually, where they were talking about how when you're happily married, like, what what do you write a song about? And they decided that they were just going to make up concept albums and stories not really about their own lives. Um, but it, I think it is, like, a little bit hard to be inspired to write songs when you're in a stable, happy relationship. Because, I don't know, like, Part of songwriting for me was, like, figuring out being lonely or maybe going through rough times in relationships or whatever. And conflict, you know, makes for good art. And there's no conflict in songs. I don't know. I guess you can have just happy dance songs, but that's not usually what I write anyways, so... (laughs) Well, Charlie, I'd like to challenge you to really feel the feels right now, you know, like uh, coming out of that relationship, being on the road, seeing so many new sites. Uh, I'd like to challenge you to really channel that into a song, maybe a couple songs, whatever works for you. I know you've got a busy schedule, but I think... I think this would be truly the composer quest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll have a lot of time to think of lyrics on the road, probably, and melodies. Lyrics are always the toughest. Melodies always come easy to me. But, yeah, I accept your challenge (laughs) with the caveat that I might run out of time. All right. Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not a picky... Listener here, Charlie. I'll take a I'll take a song in progress. I'll I'll listen to a rough draft. Okay. You know it's okay. a, it's a process that counts, right? It's uh right. The the journey is not about the destination. It's about the, the process, the 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 adventure itself, the moment to moment existence. Uh, and so you know, just the process of working through the song, uh, might. You know, even if you don't finish it, but maybe that process is worthwhile. Maybe it is therapeutic or enlightening in some way. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm really cool. looking forward to this check-ins with you because I think it would be kind of boring if I was just like doing my own personal journal, audio journal, just saying like retelling the the facts of the day, I don't know. It wouldn't have quite as much flavor as just chatting with a, a good friend. So I appreciate sure. you coming on to chat with me. 
and I look forward to many more fun chats in the future. Yeah, likewise. I'm really happy to be here, man. This is my first foray in uh, podcasting and stuff. So yeah. This is really exciting for me. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. You're natural. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I'll try my best. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later, Shermie. All right. See you, Charles. Well, that does it for episode one of the Composer Quest World Tour. I hope you enjoyed it, and you can find all the other Composer Quest episodes at composerquest.com. And I'm broadcasting here from the beautiful campus of Notre Dame. Uh, and just to give you a little sneak peek of who you'll be hearing from in the next episode is my good friend Steve Lemke. Uh, Steve and I kind of walk and talk, and we'll be talking about art life choices. Um, Steve, you, you're here because of why? Yeah, I'm here in South Bend to pursue a Master's of Fine Arts in Sculpture at Notre Dame. Um, so I'll be talking about how I got to that point, moving from Minnesota to Indiana, um, and what it's like to be a graduate student. I'm brand new at it, so hopefully I do all right. Um, so stay, yeah, stay tuned for more news from Under the Golden Dome. <laughs> that has no context to anybody, <laughs> Steve. Um, this is an audio podcast. I don't know if yeah. you heard about that. <laughs> I'm a visual artist. I don't know if you do <laughs> This episode has been sponsored by my Kickstarter backer, Julia Thompson, who is also my aunt. So thanks, Julia. And now I'll leave you with one of the final jingles for my patron, J.P. Leiter, a good friend of mine, and his wife Katie has co-created a comic series called Jade Street. And I was coming up with this jingle and I decided I wanted it to just be instrumental. And I was a little inspired by the Stranger Things theme. So enjoy my jingle for Jade Street. <laughs>